Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. The world of BDSM is deeply misunderstood. And yeah, I'm talking about doms and subs and everyone in between. You can blame, in part, movies like Fifty Shades of Grey, which many people in the BDSM world feel got the lifestyle dangerously wrong. So we here at Audacious thought we'd take a stab or at least a well-meaning flogging, at correcting some of those impressions. And I know that we're all adults here, more or less, but if you do have kids with you right now, maybe it's best to listen to this one when they're not around. The same disclaimers apply for next week's show, by the way, which features four very different submissives. But I think it feels on brand to start with the doms. Now, a kink is defined as an unconventional sexual preference or behavior. Or as a friend of mine says, kink is gourmet sex. But our guest today will demonstrate that kink may be less uncommon than you think. The dominants you'll meet today include a woman who's a fin dom or financial dominant, and another woman whose domination style is more sensual and playful. Although you'll learn that no matter the style a dominant commands, it's all in many ways, playful. And you'll meet Raven. He's a dom whose disabilities often require the use of a cane or a wheelchair. And that's where his power lies. Our first guest is known by one name, Midori. And she literally wrote the book on kink. She's an international educator and author about sexuality and personal fulfillment. And one of her books is called Wild Side Sex, The Book of Kink. I asked her to help me wrap my head around what we're talking about when we talk about BDSM. Oh, goody, goody. I love this. Okay. Most people would just break out the acronym and say bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. But I have my own definition for BDSM. BDSM is childhood joyous play with adult privilege and cool toys. That sounds great. Who wouldn't be into BDSM? Yeah, cops and robbers with shagging, or maybe not shagging. Why is that not the way people think about BDSM? Is it because we just need to get you more airtime? Yes. Okay. That's it. Actually, I presented this definition to uh, ASEC, the American Association of Sex Educators, Therapists, and Counselors, and it was received very, very well, because it's a pragmatic and realistic definition. We can separate it out into a list of activities, but if we look underneath it, what is it about? It's about play and imagination. And adulting sucks, okay? Adulting just sucks. Um, Sometimes I get people getting a little freaked out that I'm sexualizing childhood. I'm not. I'm childing our boring-ass adulthood. How would we categorize, this is maybe my attempt as a public radio host to get things nailed down that maybe are, are not nailed downable, but how would you categorize oh, the different oh, types? I, I'm a big old nerd, so I'm happy to go <laughs> Great. there. So how do we categorize different 
chunks of professional dominance? Well, let's see. There are professional dominance who, and these are some general categories, okay? There are professional dominance who engage in in in-person appointments or now virtual appointments or telephone appointments. There have been, and I'm sure still are, professional dominance who engage in entertaining through letters or perhaps email or even story writing or video making. It's an entertainer who is compensated for their entertainment skills around BDSM. Therefore, the method and the categories will shift right along with technology. Okay, will you break down BDSM? What are the roles that we're talking about here? Dominance and submission and sadism and masochism are not the same thing. Okay, so dominance and submission is about temporarily playing with who's in charge, who's the lead and who's the follow. So as a kid, if you ever played like house or school, there's a power dynamic. I grew up in Japan, so I used to like to play Samurai Overlord. That was my favorite game. (laughs) Uh, So playing with authority and power for the explicit purpose of entertainment between you and me right now. It's not a permanent personality trait. Now, sadism and masochism, this is where people get a little bit Uh, freaked out about pain. It's actually not about pain. It's about intense sensations. And intense sensations relative. I like a heavy massage. Me too. My wife likes the light touchy-touchy. It makes my skin crawl. So massage-wise, I'm more masochistic. If you like hot food, you're gustatory masochist. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, if you're into that sort of thing, I'll get I'll make you some of my chili and you'll feel it. Oh, yeah. I love spicy food, but I'm not always going to want the same amount of spicy. Sometimes I just want a nice potato leek soup. <laughs> Sometimes I want ghost pepper and like blow fire out of my ear holes. So sadism and masochism, people get hung up on the pain, also get hung up on the clinical definition of just cruel, mean, terrible people. No, this is about, no, honey, massage me harder. No, I said harder. Okay, that's nice. Okay, just a little more harder. Thank you, honey. Now, that's actually masochism. And if I want to, I know a lot of athletic people in my life, and several of them are coaches. I tell you, some of them, like, want to push me for my own good. So that would be sports sadist. Would you say in some ways, not only is it entertainment, but it's also therapeutic? That's a touchy edge to go to. Anything can be therapeutic. But in today's American culture, the moment we start throwing out the word therapeutic, people want to jump on the bandwagon of this being a health practice. And I think there's a dark side to that wanting to jump on the, this is therapy or therapeutic, because the dark side is a hidden sex negativity or hidden recreational negativity by having to claim that it's good for me. It's whitewashing over the pure desire for want of entertainment. It can be cathartic. It can be insightful. 
but so can working with a sports coach. It's sometimes a way to allow ourselves some sort of a just on the client side, some sort of a justification, especially as we live in this very sex negative culture. So it needs to have a reason as opposed to it's fun. I also think because of what's happening with SESTA-FOSTA, SESTA-FOSTA, the law that was passed a few years back, that was supposedly, the excuse was designed for protecting vulnerable people against trafficking, but it really is about controlling professional entertainers and sex work and marginalized people. So the SESTA-FOSTA Act has actually had the effect of taking entertainers into more vulnerable situations and causing platforms to censor their subscribers. Even somebody like me, when recently I was posting basic sex therapy information and the social media platform nixed my post. Why? It's an effect of SESTA-FOSTA because the platforms are terrified by being caught up in a lawsuit. So the word therapy or therapeutic may also now be used as code, much in the way that, say, a century ago, an ad in a paper may have read, strict piano teacher seeks student. It compounds a shame. It also feeds the sex negativity, and it makes it unsafe for everyone. What would you say are some methods of dominance that are really uncommon currently in the United States? An emerging form of dominance is hypnodominance, playing with hypnosis. Oh, that makes me think of so many things. When I think about hypnosis, I think about power and control, but also consent and willingness, but also layers of consciousness that we don't yet quite understand. And when I think about combining that with dominance, that does give me a little bit of, that does sort of make the hair on my arm stick up. Right. Because it's, it's the intimacy of letting somebody into one's mind, not just one's body. So it's a whole different level of intimacy. So there's different ways of playing with hypnosis. Um, That's something that's, that's very much emerging. Also, there's the the Black Widow fantasy and the blackmail fantasies. Go on. The Black Widow fantasy is the, if you're not careful, you could end up dead. You know, think like noir, right? So giving the person on the other side a real or real enough fear that their life could be in danger if they aren't doing as they're told. Exactly. So now we're playing in the realm of noir, murder mystery, and horror. I mean, why do people go watch movies like Saw? I'm not the right person to ask, but yeah, I get your point. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I love creating intense psychological situations, and yet I will not go see a horror movie. But I do love to spin yarns that are fantastical. And when those intimate with me and I'm playing, I mean, I'm a private player, not a professional player, but I have many of friends who are pro. When my playmates get to see my potential for unspeakable violence, 
that I would never act upon, but they know she's there. Creates a bit of an edge. Well, Midori, thank you so much for talking with me. This is great. When we get back, how it feels to be a financial dominant or FinDom. I've gotten thousands of dollars. I've gotten gift cards, I've gotten PayPal um, invoices. Just for existing. Just for existing. Then meet a more sensual dominant. I'm very friendly, I'm very smiley, I like to laugh a lot during my sessions, and it has served me well. And what's it like being a dominant who's also disabled? I think we have this idea that if you have these problems, you can't do this. And that's not true at all. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Wyndham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing. Individuals will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal. For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging. Many individuals travel to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers, so we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, the individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash elevatinghealth. Oh, no, I'm not a saint, nor am I one for smooth edges. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. In case you're just tuning in and there are young children around, a heads up, today's episode is about dominance in the world of kink. So unless you're ready to have the talk, or, well, one of many the talks with them, maybe catch the podcast later. So, okay, we're learning that there are a lot of ways to be a dominant. And right now you're going to meet two women who have made this job fit like a leather glove. Food Fetish is the name of the woman you're going to meet who is a fin-dom, or financial dominant. And she's the author of The Virtual Fin-dom, your beginner's guide to helping you find a pay pig. That's right. Her partners in kink are called pay pigs. We are learning so much today. Now, generally speaking, fin doms receive money from their subs, pay pigs, oftentimes for no other reason than that these women exist. It's the giving of money almost as like a tribute that brings them gratification. These men, and it's usually men, sometimes don't even expect or 
even want like a peck on the cheek, a picture, or even so much as a thank you. And when there are arrangements where the pay pigs do get something in exchange, it's usually in the form of humiliation, disgust, and degradation from the fendom. The heart wants what the heart wants. Food fetish, in case you haven't guessed, is not her real name. She's keeping that information private because she doesn't want certain family members to know about her career. This has her spending a lot of time in video chats on her phone, wearing a pink ski mask. She joined me from her home in Canada, and the mask, well, it looked pretty freaking cool, I gotta say. So I asked her, what makes for a really good Findom? Someone who just does not give a f- about what anybody else thinks, super confident, that badass mentality, like, that she can get whatever she wants, that whole, not really thinking you're better than other people, but just, just knowing that you're the and owning it, as well as your communication skills, like, you have to, like, you have to know how to talk properly in order to, like, convey what you, what you want, that power, you need to be organized as a phenom, or else, like, You'll just never make any money. You'll never get anything accomplished. Creative, diverse, ready to adapt because this market is always changing. Like how it is now is nothing like when I first got in there. Will you talk about when you first got into this? What were the circumstances that made you go from just living your life as it was to, oh, I'm going to get really good at this? I was looking for another side hustle. I'm not going to lie. I had been trying to make money on the internet for years and I hadn't found anything that was actually giving me a consistent amount of money. But then I saw the hashtag, it was pay pigs. That's what I saw on Twitter. And I was like, hmm. pay pigs. Yeah. Oh, that does get, yeah, I caught my eye too. Pay pigs. Okay. So this is how I, I navigate. So I have like, a, like my, like I'm very, into Twitter. So I had many different accounts. Like I have like a personal account that I was able to, to grow to at one point, like 10,000 followers now it has like, like seven, cause I don't tweet as much. And then I have another one that was a business one that I was able to grow to 50,000 followers. And then, so I thought I knew like a lot about Twitter, but then I saw this hashtag pay pig. I'm like, Hmm, I've never seen this before. What's that? So I click on it and I'm like, looking at all of the screenshots of women like posting um, their Amazon gift card, the amounts that they're getting, um, their PayPal, like uh, invoices. Uh, and they're, these girls are getting hundreds of dollars. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like, and I kid you not, I spent the rest, I, I probably found it like like 12 o'clock a.m. like in the, in the night, morning. And I was on until like the sun rose, like, just like, what is this? Like just going through. So now, now I'm scouring the internet, trying to find out what this is. And there wasn't a lot of information. And so I had to like, kind of just like dig and just like, cause the way I navigate the social media now is how I was able to build all my followings is just by looking at what these people are doing and, and kind of like studying. So I did that and yeah. But what it was back then was it was a lot easier for girls to just get on and just, oh, give me money, give me money, give me money. And people would actually do it. But nowadays, like, it's a lot harder to just come on and be like, 
okay, I'm me, give me money. No, these paychecks are sort of entitled now. They want stuff in return. <laughs> That's crazy. So what kind of things do they want in return lately? They want content. Like there's an exchange where as before there wasn't, it was just, I'm me, give me money. That's it. And that did work sometimes. Yeah. And for other people as well. It did. It did work sometimes. Yeah. For the most part, like, okay, I've gotten thousands of dollars from people just give me money and they've sent it to me. I've gotten e-transfers, I've gotten gift cards, I've gotten PayPal um, invoices. Just for existing. Just for existing. How much money do you think you've made in total? You've been doing this since 2016. It's 2022. Ballpark. Probably like coming up on 125000 now. I got to rethink this public radio gig. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of a question. So I am different than you um, in some ways. Is this something that you are either built to do or not? Or could someone like me, do you think I could do this? Do you think this is something that anyone could learn or a skill that someone could grow into? Yes, only because there's so many different types of doms. Like, I'm a mean one. Like, I'm going to swear at you. I'm going to spit on you. I'm going to beat you up. But there are some really nice doms. Like I, there's literally a market out there for anyone. I tell anybody who wants to get into it to get into it. It doesn't matter what you look like, how you are, your skin tone, your body type. Like it literally does not matter. There is a market out there for everyone. Just go get the money. Like. So would you say that being a dom isn't about being mean it's about being in control is that right yes it's not about being mean it's literally about being in control because you know what i i, I did like a dom takeover on someone's snapchat once when i was first like getting out because i wanted to get some exposure and the guy came back to me he's like yeah you're definitely like one of the meaner doms like you you just swear at people you spit like because i just like back when I smoked cigarettes like I'd be like smoking my cigarette and just spitting on the ground and being like look it up like showing them the camera and just like look it up type yeah and like not everybody does that and you really don't have to like you don't even have to talk down on them to be honest like there is this whole subset section of it's called giantism okay and these people they make videos and like they'll literally like I'll literally like put the camera on the floor like that. And you see how I look really big to compare to you. And like, I'm just like talking to you like that. And that's just a whole nother subsection. Yeah. Yeah. See your face. Phone yeah. angle. You can make money based on your phone angle. Literally. Yeah. And I was just, and like, that doesn't even require you being mean at all. That just literally just requires you like literally, literally talking down to them, but just from angle, not vibe, just from an angle. <sighs> So like literally like they're so it's so broad like when people think Don and fin like they just literally think just like one like little small like whoops chains but it's like so much more than that like I am learning this um if you had 500 million dollars in your bank account would you still want to be a fin dom Yes I like being mean to men <laughs> Especially for money. 
it just feels so good like there's no better feeling than just sitting there and just like having someone send you two thousand dollars just because like I love it um and it's not even just that it's just like the other things it's just like just knowing that they're they're thinking about you they're obsessed with you like I have like an Amazon wish list like they'll buy me things off of it just because like like if I complain on my Twitter account like oh like I I shouldn't have to pay for lunch myself like they'll cover it it's just I don't know I don't really give them anything they just support me also it's just knowing you'll have people kind of in your corner a little bit because like some of these pay pigs like it goes beyond like just money like sometimes like I had one tell me all right if you're out with the girls and you know you need a ride home call me it's like not just monetary it's like they're helpful in other ways too so you said that it feels good to make men feel bad to get money from them yeah. for talking down to them and spitting on them whatever they want but you also say like there is a degree of care and so would you say that yeah that you are to some degree playing a role of course because at the end of the day this is not a 100% me in my day-to-day life so yeah and at the, like I'm wearing a mask <laughs> it's a beautiful mask <laughs> I'm literally playing a role. (laughs) Well, food fetish, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. Okay, the next Dom you're going to meet is not at all like the one you just met. And that, some may say is what makes this profession so fascinating. I mean, you know the old saying, if you've met one professional dominant, you've met one professional dominant. Jade Desires is her working name, by the way, and like her counterparts on this episode, her expertise is vast and does not include sex or nudity. But it does include things like bondage, sensory play, deprivation, and role-playing. Considering her 16 years in this lifestyle, I asked her what she thinks makes for a really good dominant. You kind of go in with this idea of, I have to be this like strict, you know, mean um, dominant. And, you know, I went in trying to be something I wasn't. And, you know, then over time, it's like, well, hey, I'm the dom. I can do whatever the f- I want. You know, doing what I want means being who I am. And ever since then, you know, I have just kind of been this, I'm very friendly, I'm very smiley, I like to laugh a lot during my sessions. um, And it has served me well, because I attract the people that I want to work with, uh, for being who I am. And so when it comes to new doms, I always recommend, you know, come in, you do you, you're going to attract the people you want to play with based on your personality and what you want to do. If you start to try to be someone you're not, you're not going to enjoy yourself and you're not going to have the longevity that a lot of the people who do have longevity in this business because of that. When you're developing yourself as a dom, are you up against that stereotype that all doms are mean? Yes. um, 
In a lot of ways, because, you know, people consume porn usually before they decide to go into something like this. And so they have the idea of what a dom is. A lot of people will think, oh, you're very sexual. And there certainly can be doms who are sexual, but not a lot of doms that I know do that. And I think a lot of these people who come in and they'll come in with me and they'll say, oh, you know, I would love to do X, Y, and Z sexual thing with you. And you're like, that's not actually on the menu. (laughs) So there is a lot of stereotypes that you have to um, worry about. But the great part about this is you tell people, you know, do your research. And these days, it's actually a little bit easier to find uh, doms who have a wider gamut of what their brand is. And that is people who are more sensual, people who are more sadistic, people who are super into humiliation, um, people who are very playful. Uh, There's a one dom who I know, Princess Callie. She is one of the most playful people I know in the community. And she is just absolutely lovely. But there's a wider swath. And with Twitter and Instagram, I think it makes it easier for people to actually find you and find what they're looking for. Because I know with my particular brand, a lot of people say they're interested because I'm more approachable. I don't have that mean look on my face. (laughs) I do laugh a lot. And, you know, I am sensual and I like to take things slow, especially for those who are new to this, because it can be very intimidating. And um, whenever I meet people for consults, sometimes they're like, you're nothing like what I expected. (laughs) And I'm like, well, good. (laughs) I like surprising people. So (laughs) what do you think all dominants have in common? I think the people who have longevity in it, they share a love for connecting with people and for serving needs that can't be met elsewhere. One of the things that I am so grateful for with this particular profession is that you see a side to people that most people will never see. Some of their closest friends, families, they're sharing this with you. And that is such an honor to have someone sharing the side of themselves that could be coming from a place of trauma, uh, a place of vulnerability, and it is beautiful to see and it's beautiful to explore and kind of allow them to grow and and also play because as adults, we're not really given license to play. And that's really all I do is, you know, you kind of have this erotic license and playing within this erotic realm. It is phenomenal and amazing. And you see sides to people that are like, they're, they're kids again. And I get to be a kid all day. (laughs) So for those who see you regularly, can you talk about maybe some, some services so I can picture what it might be like for you on a somewhat regular basis? What's a typical, I know there's no typical (laughs) session, but what are people wanting? I mean, they really vary. You know, some of the things that I do because they're sort of my specialties tend to be, you know, sensation play, um, sensory deprivation, bondage, uh, feminization. Uh, Those are kind of like the main ones that I work with. And, you know, when I say sensation play, a lot of people think, oh, that's so, you know, that's so nice. And I'm like, it's not always nice. Sensation runs the gamut of soft to hard. And, um, you know, it can include some pretty heavy impact play, um, things like that, but it can be all sorts of different things. You know, I 
had someone in sensory deprivation because they said, I just want to, they want to be objectified and they want to be left in, you know, a sleep sack with a hood and simply be there for when I want to use them. And that could be, you know, 15 minutes could be an hour. They could be a coffee table. Exactly. (laughs) Put your feet up. (laughs) And I mean, you know, there's also people who simply like have a fetish that they want to um, enjoy. And it can be, I have this one person who likes being pied and I get to literally throw pies at them. There's clothing on and it's just laughter and ridiculousness. (laughs) Do you ever pull the camera back on your life and think this throw a pie is my life. (laughs) Throw a pie. Oh, every day. I'm like, I tell my, uh, my partner, my friends, I'm like, good God, my life is surreal. And it is so amazing. (laughs) On your social media, I've seen you describe yourself as daddy. I've seen you describe yourself as predator. I've seen you describe yourself as goddess. Mm -hmm. And I know we're, I know we're all made up of parts like on the inside, right? Like I know we we contain multitudes and I wonder what this line of work does for how you are in touch with each of your inner goddesses, predators, daddies. Like what? how does this work get you more in touch with you, who you are? Honestly, it is really much like play. You get to come into this space and explore different sides of yourself. Again, I've always been a very tactile, sensory-oriented person, and that speaks to my predatory side. I love like grabbing, biting, licking, you know, getting somebody into a space and even just looking at them and like prowling around them. It's, you know, playing that part, you know, the daddy part. I love a little bit of that masculine side. You know, I grew up a little bit as a tomboy on a farm. You know, there were all the guys down the street. And, you know, I've had a few people call me mommy. And there's only a few people who can call me mommy. And it's not a term I like, but I love daddy. Anyone can call me daddy. And I do feel much like a chameleon at times. You know, sometimes I want to wear a tuck. Sometimes I want to be in a really elegant dress. Sometimes I want to be that Forty boy that you kind of like have a crush on and who might take advantage of you, things like that. <laughs> but it's a place to, well, a place, a place to play and to explore the different sides of yourself. And, you know, it's great when people come in who want to be feminized and explore their feminine side or their masculine side. And I am more than happy to help because it's amazing to see someone look in a mirror when you've transformed them in some way. And to see this like look of, oh my God, this this has been inside of me. It's it's beautiful to see, honestly. When I think rudimentarily about kink, because I don't uh, currently um, identify with having needs like that, because I don't understand it, I think of stereotypical, like someone wants to be hurt. Someone wants to be demeaned, therefore they see themselves as less and they're just indulging and in seeing themselves as less. And that turns them on. I don't understand why. And all these connections just go out into the ether of, I don't get it. Not like me. It's a problem that they should see a shrink about. But this is not 
this is not a, a problem to be solved for mm-hmm. your clients. Is that a good way to put it? This is something that they want to enjoy. Like there's a big difference in perception there. There is. And this is where life is nuanced. There are people who have come to me and have said, you know, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And they're not coming from a healthy place as far as I'm concerned. And I understand it's purely subjective. But this is where, so there's a lot of people, um, clients who are like, oh, this is my therapy. And I always correct them. I said, no, this is not therapy, though it can be therapeutic in some ways. Um, and there's a huge difference. You know, I have worked with a few people who have had trauma and they're looking to sort of re-embrace um, something that has happened to them and, you know, kind of find their own power in kind of re-engaging in a similar scenario. And, you know, whenever I work with someone who either seems like they have trauma or tells me they do, I usually consult with one of my friends who are therapy, like therapists, and I try to make sure that I'm not doing any harm because if somebody wants to be hurt and, you know, it's a catharsis, you know, I personally, I I will switch at times and I enjoy a little bit of pain here and there. And the reason is because it's an intense sensation and it's similar to people who bodybuild or do these like crazy CrossFit stuff. You're literally like hurting your body. And they go through incredible, intense sensation, but that's considered acceptable. Whereas, you know, being spanked for a long time or whatnot is unacceptable, but you're still challenging your body and you're challenging your mind. And it's really interesting because I often think through, you know, as you get older and your body has aches and pains, people who are not used to having pain, they might not process it as well as someone who's used to having pain in some way. And it's an interesting way to look at it. When someone is working through perhaps a traumatic uh, experience, but sort of revisiting it with you when they have more autonomy and they have more control and more say in the situation so that maybe they can re-experience it in ways that is healing. Do they sometimes like finish up like, yep, no, I feel good about that now that that memory is, you know, in a a better place now. And I I, want to move on to a different... Uh, a different memory or a different desire or a different compulsion and just sort of zigzag their way through their desires? Or do they tend to stay more or less in the same camp of wants with you? So I've only really worked with a handful of people who had um, pretty severe trauma um, that they were working through. And it's either you start to hamster wheel uh, and you either kind of shift something to see if it changes or you don't. And you stop working with that person. Um, Or you work with somebody who they start to explore and they think they know what they need. And then you do something different. And then they're like, oh, I want to go in this direction now. And it's like, instead of it becoming something about their trauma, it actually starts becoming about play. And that's like when I really enjoy it. um, Because it's like, oh, this is therapeutic. And I didn't know this about myself. And now I found strength in this direction. And it's, a really, again, a really beautiful thing to see, like that type of evolution. Well, Jade Desires, thank you very much for talking with me. Thank you very much. This has been lovely. After the break, when using a cane and a wheelchair are a part of how you get around, how does that affect the dominant dynamic? I do a lot with, you know, the voice. Like, if I say, get on the floor now, 
You know, it doesn't matter if I can't get out of bed. He'll be on the floor. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast in absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. So you've never donated to this station before? That's okay. Public Media Giving Days are a great time to make your first gift. Here's how. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. One final discretionary note for our terrestrial radio listeners. If your kids are around, maybe listen later on the podcast, because this hour we're learning about dominance in the world of BDSM and kink. Raven Caldera of Central Massachusetts is the author of Hell on Wheels, Disabled Dominance. Because he's got lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, skeletal malformations, and congenital adrenal hyperplasia, he sometimes uses a cane or a wheelchair. He joined me with his submissive, or as he says, his slave boy, and more on subs next week, Joshua Tenpenny. When you read about uh, BDSM and DS and MS, mostly what people first find is porn. And the porn, everybody has perfect bodies. Nobody ever has ha- has problems like this. Nobody ever, you know, can't get out of bed or has bad PMS or has uh, mental or neurological illnesses or or is in a chair or anything like that. They're all perfect with no health issues. And I think we we have this idea that if you have these problems, you can't do this, and that's not true at all. And I wrote the I edited the four book series. MS and disability, the power exchange and disability, to show that there are a lot of us out there who are absolutely doing this with all kinds of issues and problems, and we're making it work. I think you're right. When people think about being a dominant, they do picture these able, so-called able bodies, these bodies that are not in wheelchairs. Um, how much do you think your draw to being a master, a uh, dominant, is sort of an answer to or a middle finger to the challenges you're up against in your own body? Or how much is you would have been a dom anyway, regardless of what the state of your body was like? I would have been dominant anyway. I have been pushy since uh, birth. Um, (laughs) Every part I've ever had has said that I, I was, until Josh, it was too pushy, too overwhelming. That's just my personality. I, when I was a little kid on the playground, I had a bunch of other kids that I who followed me around and that I ordered around. That was just me. On the other hand, once things started getting really bad uh, health-wise for me, this was a way of taking control, fighting back against helplessness. It's like there are days I can't physically do things with my with my hands or I can't physically get around. And having having a slave, having someone in service to do that means that I'm more than just my body. It, he, he becomes an extension of my will and I can get more done 
things I wouldn't otherwise be able to do with his help and service. So it is very much fighting it back against the feeling of helplessness and a, a way to be more competent in the face of that. So he has to vote. When some people find their bodies failing or working way differently than they want them to, they often feel vulnerable. And um, that's not exactly how you picture a dom vulnerable. That's the stereotype. And as far as I'm concerned, all the stereotypes of the dominant being, you know, the big, strong rock, that's in the same bucket as the people with the perfect bodies. It's it's not only that it's harmful, it's harmful that we have this community stereotype, which means that uh, dominance aren't allowed to have feelings or show feelings or have bad days or have needs or need. And it's this whole ridiculous idea that that uh, the S-type is supposed to need the M-type, but the M-type's not supposed to need the S-type. I mean, that's ridiculous. This is supposed to be a fulfilling interdependent relationship. This is supposed to be a two-way, ideally, where both parties are have a, have a job. And uh, my slave boy and I may be unequal in some ways, but we put in equal effort and we have equal responsibility to make the relationship work. If I can't be vulnerable with someone that I control, who the hell can I be vulnerable with? I mean, really, I've made him about as safe as it's possible to make someone. Joshua, you wanted to say something? Yeah, there are a fair number of S-types who say that like they can't imagine submitting to someone who couldn't physically take them down, right? Who has any kind of physical impairment. That they, I can't do their that. Their fantasy <laughs> requires this. And I feel they lack imagination, right? There's a lot more to these roles than the physical. And I, I do a lot with, you know, the voice. Like if I say, get on the floor now. You know, it doesn't matter if I can't get out of bed, he'll be on the floor. So there's things that can be done. So as, as Josh says, they lack imagination. People associate physical strength with willpower. And that isn't necessarily the case. I think you do need a fair amount of willpower to be a dominant, but you don't need to not have challenges or to, to be physically capable of doing anything really. I've become aware through researching for this show that there are at times fetishizations of people who are in wheelchairs, who need canes, who need assistance. And part of me is like, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. Like what's a fetishization and what's, when does it go into a territory where it's not respectful? I don't know. What's your response to that? That is a very tricky situation. There are disabled folks who are super not okay with that at all. And they, they basically feel it's because if someone wants that, they would want them only for that and for, not for who they are. I respect that. I'm personally okay with it. I had a uh, partner for a while who did kind of fetishize it and was okay with that. And, and uh, because I knew that he saw me as a human being and he knew who I was, I was okay with it too. And in fact, we incorporated into play. We figured out ways to, oh, you're into my leg braces. Can I chain you to them? How about that? But this is something that each disabled person has to answer themselves out of their own, out of their own comfort. And I personally am extremely uncomfortable with the idea that showing me as a disabled person as a sexual being is wrong. That that would that anyone who would be attracted to me as a disabled person as a sexual being must have something wrong with them. That says bad things about me and my body. 
Well, I have asked everything I can possibly fit into this uh, conversation. Is there anything that I missed that you want to make sure you add? I just want to say that what has really made the difference for us, for both my disabilities and for Joshua's uh, disabilities, is using the power dynamic as an exoskeleton, using the rules and protocols, the fact that we have this structured relationship that has rules and protocols as an exoskeleton. So instead of having protocols, for example, instead he doesn't have protocols about like walking six paces behind me or anything like that, his are about dealing with my body, um, walking ahead to check things out so that I don't have to make the walk, um, helping me over things, helping me downstairs. You can take a, a relationship that is, is full of rules and protocols and you can make that into a structure that has, has ways to help and support the people in it with their problems and their issues. And so doing it that way um, makes us both able to do far, far more than they than we could otherwise. And, and I just want to say that this is not something that we do in spite of. This is something that we use to make the reality better and anyone out there who is uh who is disabled and is is in a power dynamic or is starting one please i ask you to look at that i ask you to look at how this can be used to help the problem yeah especially if you're someone who requires a certain amount of assistance for in, your day-to-day -day activities in whatever that's something that can be a fundamental part of the service that this person can offer you right or on in the other direction that the control that the uh, that the dominant has over the submissive it can it's uh we, there, there's a lot of talk about you know caregiving versus caretaking, and caregiving is let me let me assist you in 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 achieving your goals, and caretaking is I know it's best for you do this. Josh is very much my caregiver, in that sense, and I am more his caretaker, and th those two things fit very well on either side of of the dynamic. But it, no, it it works really well, and it can work really well, and I just really want to I want to uh, emphasize that. Well, Raven Caldera and Joshua Tenpenny, thank you so much for talking with me. You are quite welcome. Thank you. We'll have links and more information from all of our guests at ctpublic.org slash audacious. And check this out. You can listen to our brand new playlist just in time for this lovey-dovey month called Audacious Love. It features all of our love and sex-themed conversations, including finding real love with synthetic humans, the therapeutic use of cuddle parties, and how sugar babies and sugar daddies make it work. Check that playlist out at ctpublic.org slash audaciouslove or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severindi Martinez, Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Tune in next week for a show about the flip side, so to speak, when you'll meet four very different submissives. Send me your thoughts and desires, but keep them PG, will ya? On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Yeah,